Let's uh, pray as we stand. Almighty Father, uh, we, we just uh, recited remarkable claims about who you are and about who Jesus is and about who the Holy Spirit is. And we ask in particular that uh, the Holy Spirit would be very active right now. That you will now focus our attention. That you will uh, dig out our ears, so to speak. Will you grant us to hear uh, you? Will you do in our heart whatever is necessary to get the job done that you need getting done, that we need getting done? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And um, it's helpful if you would turn back in your service sheets to uh, page 11. Uh, Last week, we started a new sermon series that's going to take us right through uh, the autumn this year. Uh, What we're doing is we are reading a portion of the Gospel of John. And in particular, we're reading through the story of Jesus' last dinner with his disciples. So um, Jesus has this dinner, and then very shortly after this, he's arrested, and uh, he, well, he's betrayed, he's arrested, and then uh, very soon he is killed. And so we pick up the story today in this closed-door meeting between Jesus and his disciples, and it's a, it's a high-intensity moment because Jesus knows that his, uh, that his death is imminent. And therefore, uh, Jesus spends these five chapters from John chapter 13, where we're at today, uh, all the way through John chapter 17. Jesus spends these five chapters uh, speaking very personally to his disciples. And what he's doing as he's uh, speaking very personally to his disciples, as he is uh, right before his death, he is coaching them, describing to them, uh, explaining to them the culture of real Christianity. Uh, everybody knows what a culture is, right? We, we live in New York City. New York City has a, a particular kind of little subculture in it, actually lots of different cultures. But there's certain things that we do, certain ways of thinking here in New York City that are a little different than other places. Uh, we, we drive less. We walk more. Uh, we, uh, we, we make a fine art of honking the horn at one another on our streets. Um, we, we run places. and We call it walking, but we run places... Um, and we really, really, really care about the careers and many other things. But every place, uh, every group of people has a, a culture uh, that shapes them, that unites them, and then that makes them distinctly them and not everybody else. And so one of the questions that we're going to be asking all through this autumn is, Jesus, what sort of culture do you want here at Emmanuel Church? We live here in New York City. We love this city, but uh, Jesus wants us to be different in a good way. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. What is that different in a good way that Jesus wants for us? And Jesus begins to answer that question right here in uh, John chapter 17 in a very simple moment where he kneels down and he washes the disciples' feet. We started talking about this last week. We're going to talk about it for a few more weeks. But today we're going to focus in on Jesus washing Peter's feet. And we're going to ask the question, Jesus, what kind of culture do you want to have for us here at the church? And as we look at this very simple scene, it's going to have massive implications for us as a church. 
All right, let's get into it. Uh, picture the scene for a minute. Jesus and his disciples, they are gathered around a table. It's likely a very low table, not a high table like this, but a really low one. You didn't sit at chairs. You laid down, uh, leaning on your uh, left arm generally with everybody's face clearly towards the table and, and legs kind of starred out from the center of the table. And the disciples and Jesus, it's just, it's just the, the 13 of them, um, they've spent three years together. They know each other very, very, very well. And therefore, the disciples can kind of read Jesus. They can read his mood. They can read a little bit of what's, what's happening. And they notice that Jesus starts to begin acting very soberly, very seriously, which is a little odd because this is supposed to be a holiday celebration meal. So it should be full of joy. And there is some joy in this meal, but there's, it's very intense. And then during dinner, it gets even stranger because Jesus gets up and he changes clothes right in front of them. And instead of being dressed like a teacher, he takes upon himself the uniform of a slave. And then one by one, he goes to each disciple's feet around the kind of star pattern around the table and he begins to wash everybody's feet. Now, we talked about this last week. Nobody in the ancient culture did this. If you were a high-status person, you never washed the feet of somebody beneath you. In fact, there's no uh, record in any ancient literature of any high-status person ever doing this. It was unthinkable. But right here in this moment, Jesus just starts changing all the rules, which he liked to do. And then he gets to Peter. Look at verse 6. He comes to Peter, who says to him, verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, Peter, if I do not wash your feet, then you have no share with me. Now, Enter into the weirdness of that moment, okay? Um, Peter is looking at Jesus, and he thinks Jesus is unhinged, which he often did think that. There's a few other times where Jesus, or Peter gets in Jesus' face and tries to rebuke him, which is, but he does it. And here, in this moment, Jesus says, wait, wait, stop. Stop, Jesus. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, Jesus, this is freaky. You have passed the freak line, Stop it. Jesus, we've given everything for you because we think you're the teacher, you're the Messiah, you're the prophet. Start acting like it because we've given everything for you. Get up. Get up. Now, Peter likes dignity for himself, for Jesus. But then it gets stranger. Because Jesus, here he is, he's sitting on his knees, very serious in this moment. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you can reject this washing if you want to, but if you do, then we're done. We're done. You cannot be my disciple unless I cleanse you. Now, why in the world would Jesus do that? Why in the world would Jesus say that? They have spent every minute of three years together, and now Jesus says, Peter, it's all over. It's all over if you do not let me wash your feet and cleanse you. What is going on? Because it's a little weird. All right. Let me give a little bit of backstory from the Old Testament. 
Um, some of us have read the Old Testament, some of us haven't. Uh, the Hebrew scriptures, when you read through the Old Testament, one of the striking things is that it's this long story of ancient Israel. And uh, one of the things that's striking about it is that the story of ancient Israel is just full. Have you read it? It's full of scandal. Um, you, it's a, it, reading the Old Testament, it, it's a little bit like reading the news today. Uh, you've, you've got this nation, you've got ancient Israel, and they have these very high ideals, wonderfully high ideals. But despite their very high ideals, they always consistently fall short of their ideals. And what happens is you've got political leaders that are corrupt. You've got religious leaders that are habitually corrupt. You have this culture that is full of abuse time and again over the course of hundreds of years. And as you read the story, there's times as the reader, and certainly also for Israel experiencing it, where you start to think, there's, this is great. There's no hope. There's no hope. Except, almost at the end of the Old Testament, there's this uh, prophet that nobody reads called Zechariah. Give him a read. And there's this wonderful bit in Zechariah where he says, you know what, Israel? You're terribly corrupt. Everybody knows it. The day is coming. It's going to be a very special day. And on this very special day that's coming... Two things are going to happen on that day. One, you're going to find out that your scandal has led to the piercing of God. God, you're, you're going to find out on this day that you have impaled God with your scandals. Pierced him. You're going to look on the one that you have pierced. But then, at the, which is going to be terrible, which is going to be unimaginably awful. But on the other hand, on that day, the same day that you pierce God, there's going to be a fountain. There's going to be a fountain unleashed. And this fountain will have the capacity to cleanse Israel from their scandal, their shame, their sin, their uncleanness. It's all in Zechariah chapter 13, 12 and 13. And the idea is that Israel is so dirty and so corrupt that only God himself can clean them. They can't clean themselves. God has to do it. Um, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis' um, Chronicles of Narnia, if you haven't read them recently, Give them another read. They get read often in my home uh, in this stage of life. And um, there's a character called Eustace. And Eustace uh, is this terribly self-absorbed kid who so, doesn't know that he's self-absorbed. But he's so self-absorbed and so selfish that eventually it leads to him getting turned into a dragon. Uh, and there's this scene where Eustace, as a dragon, looks at his reflection in a pond, and he realizes he's shocked, but he's a dragon. And part of the point of the, that bit of the story is that uh, he, he was all along a selfish little petulant dragon on the inside, but, but now he just is outwardly what he inwardly always was. And that's what happens in the Old Testament. As the Old Testament unfolds, Israel all of a sudden looks in the pond and realizes that there are dragons, deeply unclean. And it's shocking. I think it's really important to be careful here, but I sometimes wonder right now, as we're all listening to the news, we're all shocked by many things, but I wonder if that's part of what God's doing to the church in our nation. That the, God is lifting up before us a mirror. And we're looking in the mirror and we're finding ourselves to be dragons. 
I mean, the, I've had a lot of conversations about the Roman Catholic sex abuse scandal, and it's just hell. And we can't sit here and say, well, at least it's the other team. No. No. Because every single party in the church has betrayed its people so profoundly that it's very hard for some of us. Some of us, it's very hard to trust the church at all. And we're looking in the reflection, we're seeing we're dragons, and we say, well, what do we do with that? Okay, Jim, lovely, but what does this have to do with foot washing? Everything. Go back. Why is Jesus so urgent about washing Peter's feet? Here's why. Because Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, Peter, about 72 hours from now, Israel's going to look upon the one that they have pierced. And on that same day, there's going to be a fountain that's going to break forth. And Jesus says, Peter, I am the only fountain that can cleanse Israel. Israel can't clean herself, but I can clean her. And then he looks at Peter and he says, but it's even more personal than that, Peter. It's not just that Israel is corrupt and needs to be cleansed. And it's not just that its institutions are corrupt and need to be cleansed. It's more personal than that, Peter. And then he looks in Peter's eyes and he says, Peter, you need to be cleansed. You're dirty, but I can cleanse you. I have to cleanse you, Peter. Now, Emmanuel, pause here, because I ask, what is the culture that Jesus wants to shape here? Here's the culture. Jesus wants to shape us into a culture of cleansing, a culture of deep cleansing. And part of what that means is that we need to be a people who deeply see our need for Jesus to wash us all the way down. And if we're going to see that, we've got to be able to look inside our hearts. You know, Christians must be grieved by the evil that we see out in the world around us. But a, a, a Christian that's beginning to grow up is never shocked by the evil that they see out there because we have been deeply and closely acquainted with the evil that's right in here in my own heart. And I can imagine somebody coming back and saying, Jim, that's terribly pessimistic. That's terrible. We're not that bad. I'm not that bad. Are you that bad? Well, go back to Peter because Peter doesn't look that bad right now. He's not one of the political leaders. He's not one of the priests. He's not arranging Jesus' death. But hang on. Within the next 72 hours after this moment, Peter violently assaults somebody, cuts off his ear. And then uh, just minutes after that, he uh, denies that he knows anything about Jesus when Jesus is in the room. See, Peter in this moment doesn't think he needs to be cleansed. He thinks he's doing all right. But Jesus knows better. And so the question for us, Emmanuel, is do you know you need to be cleansed? Do we know that? Or are we just looking at the other folks? All right, so the first thing is uh, Jesus wants to build us into a culture of cleansing, and that means we need to know that we need to be cleansed deeply. Uh, but then there's a second thing, and the second thing is we've got to consent to the cleansing work. Go back to the story. Look at how G uh, Peter responds to Jesus. This is classic Peter, and it's brilliant. This is one of the times where he gets it right. A little over the top, but he gets it right. Verse 9. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Go all the way. Give me a shower. Now, Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about here. 
Uh, and so Jesus has to kind of go, okay, but well, not anyways, you know, it, it's kind of what happens next. But it's Peter's still doing exactly the right thing. Jesus tells Peter that he needs to be cleansed. And then Peter says, okay, I trust you. I don't know why, but okay. And then Peter consents to the cleansing. He gives his consent. And that's one of the key ways to think about faith in Christ. Um, part of what real faith is, when it's really taking hold in our lives, is we uh, look at Jesus and we say, Jesus, uh, listen, I, I don't understand everything about what you're saying. Let's face it, I don't. But I know enough, I know enough to trust you. That's the critical moment. Therefore, Jesus, do whatever it takes in me to cleanse me and transform me and restore me and heal me and do whatever it takes, be it ever so severe, do whatever it takes, Lord Jesus, and don't be superficial. We don't have time for that. Don't be superficial. Go down. I give you comprehensive consent to go deep into my soul, deeper than I know it goes. Go all the way down with your cleansing work. That's what trusting Jesus means. And that's what Peter does. But now watch this. And this is where the warning comes in, okay? This is going to get heavy for a second. It, as if it wasn't heavy already a few minutes ago. Um, it'll get even heavier. Um, contrast Peter and Judas. Because Judas is in the room. And Judas gets his feet washed too. Did you know that? Judas gets his feet washed too. But in verse 11, right at the end, Judas doesn't get clean, not really, not deep down. Why? Why? What's the difference between Peter and, G and Judas? The difference is in the heart. Verse 2, Judas, in his heart, do you see that word? His heart had already decided to betray Jesus, which means that his heart was no longer trusting Jesus. That had been canceled. There was no consent anymore. He was uh, already planning Jesus' arrest. And therefore, what happened is his feet got clean, but his heart oof, said, nope, no, we're done, Jesus, we're, we're done. Do you find that frightening? I find that really scary. Because it means that you can be an apostle. And you can stand up and heal people and, and, and preach, and you can do all kinds of things. And you can wear funny shirts with weird collars. And nonetheless, have a heart that's just saying, nope, won't have it. So how do you know if your heart's rejecting Jesus' cleansing? If my heart is rejecting Jesus' cleansing, I'm going to have a lot of secrets. And I'm going to have a lot of good reasons why I'm okay and you're not. Secrets and self-justification. Judas had his secrets. Nobody else knew what was going on, but he knew what was going on. But he had lots of reasons why this was the only thing really he could do, given the context. Where are you at with that? On the other hand, what are the signs that I'm giving my consent to Jesus' deep cleansing? And the signs are going to be the opposite. It means that instead of guarding your secrets and your shame, what happens is we bring our dirty little rags to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I'm not bringing my best. I only bring my worst. I've got no excuses. I've got no justification. I bring my guilt and my need, my dirt and my shame 
Cleanse me. And that's the culture that Jesus wants. By the way, that's the only kind of culture that's safe for a church. You want to be a church that's safe for people to be part of? We have to be this kind of a church. Every other church, there's nothing more dangerous than secrets in the life of a Christian or secrets in the life of a church. They will, they will rise up and roar and they will cry, they'll kill you. But that's what Peter does, because Peter is not that, he's not any better than Judas, really. I mean, he's, you know, they, they both check out on Jesus in the next 72 hours. The difference is that Peter runs back to Jesus after the resurrection and is running back to Christ is a sign that the cleansing had taken hold. And friends, uh, by the way, that's one of the reasons we confess our sins every week. We don't go a week. We dare not go a week in church without confessing our sins. Why would we? But let me say this. Do not allow our confession in church to become a ritual that inoculates you from the deeper work. For some of us, friends, there are secrets that we're keeping that need, you got to betray the secrets. Betray the secrets. And some of us need to betray the secrets. That is to say, confess them to someone else with ears who can look us in the eye and say, Jesus Christ nails that sin to the cross. And for some of us, the power of our sin in our lives will not be broken until we verbalize it to somebody else. So do it. Because you're, if you do not betray your secrets, your secrets will rise up and make you betray your Lord. So betray them. Okay, culture of cleansing. We need it. Consent to it. And lastly, the reason we do that is because Jesus has provided the cleansing. Do you notice in the story, Jesus does all the work? Jesus does all the housework at church. He does all the cleansing. The disciples, they cannot cleanse themselves. And this is always a temptation. The temptation, in fact, it's probably germinating in some of our hearts right now. The temptation is to say, yeah, I've got this dirty little secret, but I bet you I can manage it. I can manage it if you just give me a moment. I'll squish it down. No. No, if I try to cleanse myself, I can be many things, but I cannot be a Christian. Do you remember Eustace, uh, the kid in Narnia, self-absorbed, turns into a dragon? Let me tell you a story. This is story time. This is the part of the service where we get to listen to a story. Just listen. This is Eustace speaking as a dragon. I saw a huge lion coming slowly towards me. It came up close to me, and it looked me straight into the eyes. It told me to follow it. And I knew that I had to do what it told me, so I got up and I followed it. And it led me a long way into the mountain to a well. It was like a big round bath with marble steps going down into the middle of it. And the water was clear as anything. And I thought, if I could just get in that bath, it would ease the pain in my leg. But the lion told me I had to undress first. Now, I was just about ready to tell the lion that I couldn't undress because I didn't have any clothes on because I was a dragon, when suddenly I thought, well, dragons are snaky sorts of things, and snakes can cast off their skins. Ah, I thought, that's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself, and, and my scales started coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper, and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully as if I was a banana. 
In a minute or two, I just stepped right out of my skin. I could see it there, lying next to me, looking rather nasty, but it was a great feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was going in to put my feet in the water, I looked down at my feet and I saw that they were hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just like they'd been before. Ugh, that's all right, I said. It only means I have another smaller dragon suit on underneath the first one, so I'll just get out of that one too. So I scratched and tore again, and, un and the skin peeled off beautifully. I stepped out of it. It was there lying beside me. I went down into the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away a third time. Got off a third skin, just like the other two, stepped out of it, but as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. He's still a dragon. He can't undragon himself. And some people spend all their lives trying to scratch themselves good. Doesn't work. Jesus does all the cleaning in the church. Go back to the story. Then the lion said, you will have to let me undress you. And I was afraid of his claws, I'll tell you, but I was pretty near desperate now. So I just lay down flat on my back and I let him do it. And the first tear of his claw was made in me so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And then he began to peel the skin off, and it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of knowing the stuff was peeling off. And he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done with my other three times, but they hadn't hurt, this one did. But there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. And then he caught hold of me, and he threw me into the water, and it smarted and it hurt like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. I had turned into a boy again. The lion took me out and dressed me in his new clothes. Jesus does all the cleaning in the church. And that explains why Jesus went to the cross and you don't, and I don't. So Emmanuel, Jesus wanted to do in us what that story describes. Jesus went to the cross and there Israel pierced him. We pierced him and we look upon the God whom we have pierced. But in that same moment, a fountain was open. A fountain for you, for me, it rolls down to us this day. Get in. And if you're not a Christian yet, this is your doorway in. And if you are a Christian, this is your pathward onward. This is our culture. It's beautiful. Don't be afraid. Jesus is very kind. Amen.